It's good to have Brother Glenn with us. Enjoy your presentation, brother, and telling us about the seafarers and the unique ministry that God has called you to. Come on back, brother. Tell us a little more about the ministry if you want, and then preach for us. One thing I failed to, to mention, you would notice on our display there's M&Ms. What's with a missionary with a bunch of M&Ms? Well, there's Marcy Mongold. But that's not it at all. The Lord has blessed us. The Lord brought us together in marriage in 1980. And uh, he gave us... A girl and a boy and 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 a girl and a boy. Now, if that's ten, that's ten, five and five. And we thank the Lord for our children. We like to say all of them are serving God the way they should, but that's not the case. Our youngest has special needs, and we're learning with those with Downs, Down syndrome, sometimes... If there's a difficulty in their life or a change, they react a lot differently. And so we are challenged sometimes by our, our even youngest. My prayer is this. I mean, he just turned 19, but he didn't want to be 19. He wanted to be 16. He's like a 7-year-old mind and a 19-year-old body. And, uh, and my only hope is this, and consolation is that, Lord, he can't discern his right hand from his left hand. He's yours by the blood. And so you want him to be a servant. Put your love in his heart. Put your heart in him and, and put your patience. And, and so that can at times be challenged. He's at his sister's house. Seemed like he's doing real great. They had a race and they set us, sent us little clips of that race. And as the two grandchildren with our son Saz getting ready to run down that country road, he's revving up his engine like this. He's kicking like a bull anyway, but he, he had a good time. But uh, we like to say all our children are where they are with the Lord. That's not the case. And we're not just saying that to say anything, but if you would like to pray, pray for our children. Uh, I know some may have a mistake, and I've heard it almost uh, somewhat through testimonies. If you do right, then your children will get saved. Well, the only promise that we do have from the scripture is train up a child in, in the Lord, in the way of the Lord. And when they get old, they cannot depart from that training. Uh, you'd be surprised that when they turn 18, they may have, all right, we did what mom and dad did. And they were good children. But they may have their own agenda. And our only hope is, Lord, they're yours. Work your grace in the heart and save them. So... With that in mind, and the M&Ms are for the merchant seamen or the many Mongols, however you want to take it. And as you grab, those are free. And just take a, a package of M&Ms. And as you enjoy the snack, just pray for the many Mongols, the merchant seamen, merchant marines that come into our port. Again, one of the treats for any of these sailors when they come in. And since covid that never slowed down the ships around here. It may have prevented men from coming off. And one thing good about that situation, essential workers, which I'm uh, identified as, 
we had permission from day one always from going on the ship, so that was never a, a hindrance. But when we get a chance to, in between shopping, to bring the men to our house, that really is a special, special treat. I'll just say that if you, doesn't have to be men on the ship, it could be here at the supermarket or somewhere from another land, a student uh, from far away. And just pray, Lord, uh, we, we want to be a blessing. And uh, if help us to help them, and maybe the Lord will move you in that direction that, you can be a friend to them and, and point them to the greater friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and bring them to your home, have a meal with them, and you'll begin to see that their hearts will just open up and you'll have a friend forever. It's all about testimonies. Do you have a testimony? Do I have a testimony? If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to have you turn, and we'll see how far we'll go into. I won't keep you all up all night. But Acts 22, we're going with the account of the Apostle Paul, looking at um, Harry Ironside and some reading, some gleaning. He said this, there is tremendous, tremendous power in personal testimony. Now, I understand if you're a child and the Lord graciously saved you, you may not have all the memories you may not have. But as we are saved later in life, my mother and father, they separated when I was two. My mother went back to the East Coast. We were living in California. I was born in California. Went back to the East Coast. Uh, my father married seven different times, one wife, twice. I came from the second marriage. He tried to make a name in country western music. Never was successful, but he hung around with those who were. My mother went back to the East Coast, and when my parents finally separated when I was eight years of age, uh, my brothers from his first marriage went back with our father. My mother and I, we live with my grandmother, who was from Canada. If you're watching the big dig that my mother's watching, uh, I forget what they call it, but anyway, it's out in Nova Scotia area. That's where her mother lived, right behind that island. Uh, there's a name for it. They call it Kids Island or something like that. They're trying to find these, all these treasures. When my grandmother came to the States, she maintained her Canadian citizenship. She was born in 1901. She came in the early 1920s, and, but she came as a believer. And so we grew up with my grandmother. She kept her paperwork, and she died a Canadian in Massachusetts. And, uh, but through her, I knew something of God and struck some fear in my heart. And I grew up in the 60s. Graduated in 1972. I was 18 at the time. That's when they changed the age from voting from 21 to 18. Some states, I believe Maine and, and New York, changed the drinking age to 18. Massachusetts waited to 73. We were already drinking. I guess what I'm saying, the things that I thought would bring happiness enjoy to me my sins they 
made me a prisoner or a slave too. So when I finally turned 21, I was a miserable creature. I was a man most miserable. And I was at the point where I really didn't believe that God wanted anything more to do with me. I had opportunities as a youngster. I remember in the third grade, it's like God spoke to me audibly. Go home and ask your grandmother how you can go to heaven. If not, you'll, there's hell. And hell was a reality. And with fear and great haste, when I went home, I asked her, but I, she never did sit down and talk with me. She gave me a gospel tract. She said, Glenn, when you read, you'll know. I wasn't the best of readers. I wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box. And so as I went in my room to do what the track said, I really felt miserable, more miserable. And coming out of the room, you know, somehow knew it, it just wasn't for me. But I lied. She said, do you know now if you're going to heaven? And I said, yeah. Well, my life would eventually show that it was, and I was nine years of age. Becoming a teenager, enjoying the sins, everybody smoked, everybody drank, everybody uh, did everything. Immorality was part of my life. These things I thought was going to be, this is what everybody did. In fact, one of my friends, he, he went to a Catholic church. He'd always go to the Saturday night mass or Sunday, but usually Saturday night. I said, Steve, you're living like a devil. Why do you go to church? <laughs> I mean, I, I just couldn't figure that one out. And he would go and, and clear his conscience and we'd be out drinking and, and carrying on. These things I thought were going to bring me happiness. And they, they made, I made miserable, terrible choices. Where I believe sincerely I crossed the line that God didn't want any more to do with me. I wasn't 100% convinced, but I felt 99.9 .9 that I was. And because of that, I said, Glenn, find out if there's any hope for you that you can go to heaven. So at that time, I had a children's Bible in my belongings, in my possession. There was enough. It was internationally used, so, but there was enough gospel in there to convict me. And I would read. And, and I remember one of my prayers, the first prayer, God, I don't know why I do these things. It's like an evil influence that comes over me. I, I'm really... Basically, good guy, but this influence comes over me. Started reading some of that Bible again. <laughs> the Word of God was beginning, uh, it was tearing me up. My next prayer was this, maybe two, three weeks after that. God, I'm a liar. The only time I want you is when I'm guilty. And I, I call upon you, and when that guilt is gone, I'm gone. And I said, if there's any hope for me to ever go to heaven, you're going to have to scare me into it. Left to me. I won't make that choice. But in the back of my mind, he, he's not listening to me. He doesn't want me anymore because I didn't want him. I laughed at the things of God. I kept him at arm's distance. And so now I felt he was laughing at me but I wasn't 100% convinced. And so at that time, my grandmother gave me her Bible. And uh, 
I began to read, and, and as I was reading, I was trying to figure this out in my own. And one thing you don't want to do if you don't know Christ, don't look inward. There's nothing good inward. The more you look at your heart, the more in despair you, be, you can become. And so I'm trying to figure out what the Word of God says. And I'm looking in here. Woe is me. So at the age of 22, I came to the conclusion there was no hope. God can't save me. He can't forgive me. And why? Because I didn't want him. When he could have showed mercy, I said no. I kept him at arm's distance. And so I asked my boss at the shop, I said, sir, can I go home? I'm, I'm sick. And I was sick. I was sin sick. The burden of my sin was so heavy that it was about to kill me. And so reluctantly, he let me go home. I left the shop about two in the afternoon, drove to the apartment, stayed in the car. And I said, Glenn, just open the Bible anywhere. And wherever you open it to, point and begin to read, and maybe God will say something nice to you. And that's what I did. Last-ditch hope. I did a lot of talking to myself back in those days. And so I opened it, and I pointed. And if I thought I had any hope, the Word of God took it all away. There was no hope. There was my life right there, condemned before a holy God. And so I said, Glenn... Face the truth. God doesn't want you because you first didn't want him. So go back into the apartment and give back your grandmother her Bible and tell her, Grandma, there's no hope. God can't save me. I'm a sinner. And so uh, I went to the apartment, opened the door. To my surprise, she was just right there. I handed her the Bible. I said, Grandma, here's your Bible. God can't save me. I'm a sinner. She didn't say anything, but she reached for her Bible. I followed her a little bit further in the apartment. We sat down at the table. She began to thumb through the pages. And she turned to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And we, we know that verse. But she didn't read all the whole verse. But I remember very distinctly while she was reading I was saying to myself, I'll let her read, but there's no hope. God doesn't want me because I played the fool. You know, that was the most bitterest pill for me to ever swallow. I had no one to blame. My parents separated. They divorced. I can't blame them. My friends, we, we ran in sin. The pressure was to do this. pressure was to do that. I said yes to sin. I said no to sin. I had no one to blame but me. And that was the most bitterest pill for me to ever swallow. And so this is all she read. And as she was reading, I was thinking this. I'll let her read. But there's no use. God doesn't want me because I didn't want him. And she read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. And she stopped right there. And the first time she ever spoke to me, she turned to me. She said, Glenn. I don't know what you've done, but whosoever means you. After she said that, I was 
dead as dead could be. But the moment she finished that last word, God did a wonderful thing. Filled my heart with his love and mercy. Convinced me, Glenn, I still love you. My love is unconditional. I know all about you. I still love you. He got a hold of my heart. And God was no longer my enemy that day. And there I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's been a wonderful journey ever since. Sad to say, my friend that I ran with, he had cancer. I left my phone number for him uh, and wanted him to call or me to call him. And he, and he told my cousins, he said, if he just wants to talk about religion, tell him not to call me. And sad to say, his cancer did, uh, he did heal whatever he had, but he came back later on and took his life. I don't know where he is. Do you have a testimony? If the Lord saved you, you have a testimony. And if you have a testimony, it's powerful because it speaks and glorifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had a testimony. And here he is. He's now in the group of the Jewish uh, brethren that they heard that this apostle Paul, this Paul, was trying to get the Gentiles to just forget about the Jewish heritage and some of the traditions. They, they got misinformation. But Paul had a testimony. And we see that at least five times that he referred to his testimony. Have you ever thought about when you read the book of Acts, chapter 8, we hear this about the apostle Paul, then called Saul. Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. This is found in chapter 9. I'm just jumping around here. To get permission, letters of authority to round up believers to put them in prison, to be beaten. We read again. Uh, that was chapter 9, chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto the death. And this death was the first martyr, Stephen. There were seven deacons. Stephen was a witness unto death. And it said, Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And God allowed that persecution to occur. This is how he could disperse the believers. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the believers, many fled. We find that of Philip, and he went to Samaria. We see in Acts chapter 22... Paul rehearses his testimony. Verse 4, he said, I persecuted this way unto death. So not only did he round up women and men and had them beaten, but he had them put to death. But God did a wonderful thing. And remember, as you read the book of Acts, in this account, who was Paul's companion? Luke. And Luke, as he was penning, Paul is probably leaning over and said, Luke, 
make sure you say it this way. Matthew Henry said this. When it says in chapter 8, and Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death, it said, he filled his eyes with, with this bloody spectacle, with glee, thinking that if he can destroy this one man who is a godly man in the eyes of this Christian, then maybe he can wipe out Christianity completely. And so with glee, he consented to his death. Uh, Matthew Henry says, consented with delight. And he says, we have reason to think that Paul ordered Luke to insert this for shame to himself and glory to free grace. Amen. So as you read, having havoc, beaten, put in prison, killing, Paul's there with Luke. Luke, I'm ashamed what I've done. Write this. I want them to know how it was. Paul had a testimony. And as that church dispersed, I think earlier, when the Lord took his disciples, they went to this, he went to the well, his disciples went into town. The Lord had a, an appointment with this Sumerian woman. And <clears throat> as he was waiting there at the well, He began to converse with her, began to talk to her. Where the Jewish nation had really discontent for the Samaritans, Jesus is not man only, he's God. And God so loved the world. And there as he was conversing with this woman at the well, she did confess and say, well, you know, we know Messiah is going to come, and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And the Lord did a wonderful thing. He revealed the veil from her eyes and said, I am he. And she did a wonderful thing because he told her all about her life, all about her sins, in a loving way, a gracious way. Remember, his love is unconditional. And... We have the account where she went back to her village and most of the village went out to see this thing that she spoke of because now they see this new creature in Christ. She's not this gruff woman, this woman that says, mind your own business. But here she is pleading, look, come see a man that told me everything I've done. Isn't this the Christ? And they went out. And that's the account that we have. But I, I'm wondering if we can look even more into it. After the conversion, after everyone came back and said many believed and many became followers of the Savior. And as he went back to the village, this was the woman where mothers would tell their daughters, stay away, stay away, don't be like her. Stay away from her. And now they see a changed creature in Christ. I can see the mothers bringing their daughters, their children to this woman. Tell us again how you encountered this visit with this wonderful Jesus. And I wonder if Bible studies perked up and, and, and they seen this old creature, now a new creature in Christ. What am I getting at? That's a good question. What I'm getting at is that there was a group of believers in Samaria 
And when God sent that person, allowed that persecution to happen, and the believers dispersed, Philip went to Samaria and he preached the gospel there, and many heard and many believed. I wonder if there wasn't a work there that was going on from the beginning, all due to this woman who brought her water pot to the well in the afternoon. I think of another man, and as the Apostle Paul, he gives his testimony. He said, I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness and all the estate of the elders, from whom I receive letters unto the brethren and to Damascus to bring them which were bound unto Jerusalem to be punished. And so Paul, he had a tremendous testimony. And he thought that if I just tell him what Jesus did for me, you have a testimony. And there's others that would love to hear your testimony. Will you work? Will you do your business? And if you just uplift Christ and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Or you may sing a hymn and they may inquire. That may bring on something something wonderful where you may have an opportunity. I appreciate Brother Rick talking about giving testimony and, and those white-knuckled uh, unbelievers at the time just holding back but finally give their life to Christ. Not everybody will come to church. Some feel they're too sinful to walk in the doors of the church. And that's why I like the story of Matthew the Levi. As you read other accounts of stories around that chapter, that the leper comes to Jesus and asks for healing. God, Christ heals him and heals him spiritually. And others may come. But Matthew didn't come. Who is Matthew? Well, you have sinners and you have below a sinner, a publican. And Matthew was disgrace. You say, why? Because now he's working for the Roman government. He's cheating his own people. And some say that he was probably even related to some of the disciples. And so you have this man that made a fortune of taking advantage of his own people. Even one writer said, I think that... Um, Matthew, Levi, was the one who taught Peter to, to cuss. Because when they bring the fish in, they had to pay some custom, some duty. Matthew, Levi, didn't go to Jesus. And if I may turn to chapter 9, I'll just read. You don't have to turn there. Chapter 9, verse 9. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of customs. 
And Matthew didn't say anything. But Jesus said this, and he said unto him, follow me. And what did Matthew do? I immediately fell unto him. If somebody came to me and said, Glenn, God loves you unconditionally. Will you give your heart to Christ? I didn't hear, I never heard those words. I was trying to figure this all out. And I was saying, condemned, guilty, guilty, guilty. Others, there's mercy. No mercy for me. I needed my grandmother to read John 3.16 and stop and say, Glenn, I don't know what you've done. But whosoever means you. Because that's when God confirmed it all. And there's those that will never darken the door of this church. And they may be like myself, maybe like Matthew, maybe like some of these seafarers, that unless you show them and tell them of the love of Christ, they'll never come. And so Jesus saw him, and he called him. He said, follow me, and he arose. And Matthew, I can't imagine what joy had to be in his heart. Because I believe Matthew knew who Christ was. And I knew, and I know that Matthew knew that now Christ knew who he was. And yet, he's a friend of sinners. And what did Matthew do? He got all his sinful buddies together. Not in a, in a wrong way. He was concerned for the souls. Look, this is what Christ did for me. And I want you to have the very same joy that I have in my heart. Come. He paid for the feast. He paid for the fair. There was a lady. And all I can do is get longer and longer, but I'll try to cut it off. She was head of the crew working on our road. And her name was Amanda. And bless her heart, she, she was the boss of the crew. But she loved her crew. But God brought a lot of difficulties and hardships in her life. To make a long story short, she came to Christ. And I believe that she's the woman that preaches sometimes used as an illustration. A woman got saved and she said, Lord, if you save me, I'll never let you forget it. And she gave her life to Christ in a glorious way. This is what Matthew is doing. This is what we're doing on the ships. These men will never know any hope. They'll never know any love unless we express it in a genuine way we show it. There's those who would love to hear your testimony. There are those who would love to be in the house of God, to hear what you do, but they fear their sins are too great. We ask God to seek them out. We ask God to be a fisher of men. And while you go, take a bag of M&Ms with you and pray for the many mongrels. Let's pray, then pass you come up. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank thee for your, the folks here, Lord. We, we're just indebted to their praying for our ministry, Lord, their faithfulness. And Lord, we, we do see the hand of God working in the hearts of these men. Lord, their lives are miserable. and They're in sin. And, and they just say they're in an environment where it's just so difficult to do right. And Lord, you so love them. And so, Father, we, we pray, have mercy upon these seafarers, have mercy upon the community. Lord, use us 
Use those here to go out and send the good hope to those who need Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.